With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. From Brooklyn, New York, home of the metaphysical bartender Peter Napolitano, it's Blazing Rye Radio. Tonight on the show, R&B singer Solomon and folk rocker Scott Krokoff, plus the Blazing Rye panel. And now, a man who most definitely needs an introduction, it's Ryan Holmes. It is Monday, April 29th, 2013, 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, we have a great show tonight, but first, time to do something we always do on the show. It's called the Blaze and Rye Panel. Uh, joining me on the panel tonight will be my brother from another mother, Elm City's finest founder and CEO of the Westville Riots, Mr. Jonathan Weeks. John Weeks, how are you? Good, how are you, Mr. Holmes? Glad to be here, my friend. Yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> um, well, sir... We both had weddings this past weekend. Now, you, your sister got married, right? That's right. She got married after a relationship of 13 years. She finally got married. I'm very happy for her. Oh, Jesus. What took the guy so long to propose? I have no idea. He's got, he's got his issues, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I'll tell you what. I went to my BSF, Samantha Spivak's wedding over the weekend, and uh, – my other brother from another mother, Nick Sizik's uh, wedding. How about those two names, Spivak and Sizik, and they get married? Is, what if they? Can you imagine if they hyphenated the, that name into one? I think that would be amazing. Uh, what would that sound like? Spivak, Spivak, or something? Spivak or Spivak? I don't know. I think you were yours were better. But you know what? I think one of the coolest things about my weekend was John Weeks. Well, so these rehearsal dinners. Are, are are always fantastic. Did you have a good rehearsal dinner? I did, yes. It was always fun. You know, it was a Chinese restaurant around a lot of family. It's always a good time. Gotcha. So we had this rehearsal dinner. It was in Rhinebeck, New York, and then the wedding and the everything was in Rhinecliff. So uh, went to the rehearsal dinner, and then afterwards um, I went uh, with the bride and her moms and her friends uh, just for, for a drink somewhere. You know, I went with the bride, and then it just so happened that the groom and his family, they were partying at the hotel that I was staying at, so I was the only one that got the best of both worlds because I got to go out with the bride the night before the wedding and with the groom the night before the wedding. Oh, my gosh, you're lucky bum. That's a great time right there, you know. It was probably uh, up late, too, right? <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it fantastic? Uh, yeah, we, we, we were not... Uh, up too late. Um, got a got a good night's sleep. Although I think I was allergic to those pillows. They were down, and I'm allergic to down. 
All those damn pillows. Well, you know what down's made of? Birds. Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> oh, my God, I just had a flashback of a bird. The bird sat in my car this morning. It was just wonderful. And uh, I took pictures of it now because uh, I think it's really their assaults on me and, and mankind, quite frankly. Well, They're coming after well, us. Now, now, <laughs> now your uh, your car has good luck now. It does have good luck. I need not and so much. My car, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> knowing you're driving, your car is going to need good luck, too. Uh, <laughs> I could go, well, I'm not friend. saying John Weeks almost killed a kid one time, but... Uh, <laughs> One time. One time I almost drove through an electrocuted fence, actually. I almost drove into a prison one time. It was awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> what would possess you to do that? Well, you know, my friends, I take things very literally sometimes. So my friend was like, Weeks, take a right right here. And, I, of course, I didn't see the street. That was probably a block down the road. And I took an immediate right almost into the grass into a fence that was electrocuted. <laughs> <laughs> Your friends were trying to kill you. Oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, you're, okay, so the, do you remember that one time we were driving up near the Forest Theater, the old RIP, the Forest Theater in New Haven, or West Haven? Oh, yeah, and definitely. That you were, like, about to slam into some, some other car <laughs> or something, and I go, what are you doing? Oh, <laughs> oh I've had Did many instances like that. Oh, yeah. Or was that me? Maybe that was me. And uh, I can't remember. One of us, neither of us are particularly good drivers. Uh, well, um, I, I take the cake on that one. I'm the worst driver ever. I almost went through a parking garage, you know, one of those little lift things. And if it weren't for someone yelling at me, everyone came out and yelled. I, I didn't know people were even there. Someone came out of the guards booth. Somebody came out of their own car. They were yelling at me as I was almost drove through the uh, little gate lot thingy. And uh, it almost destroyed my car. But. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I have a real uh, affinity for uh, breaking things, I think, and, and terrible driving. <laughs> well, let's not mention cup holders. So there were there was the uh, – uh, let, let's talk about last week on the show we had this woman, Alexis Asby, who is an author, and she is a wedding planner and has planned uh, 3,000 weddings and has had all different sorts of things happen. When I explained to her about the bird watching. I don't think she's ever had that happen before. I think very few people have. I think we might be the first bachelor party that ever went bird watching as the central focus of the bachelor party. It's it's quite frankly <laughs> uncharted territory and for good reason. <laughs> now I mentioned on that show last week that you had gotten molested. How did you feel about that? I <laughs> it was good to hear because I haven't heard it in a while and. Uh, I guess it's good to talk about those kinds of things, you know, just to get them out in the open as, as a therapeutic kind of uh, way of getting it out there. It really was disturbing, and it brought back a lot of flashbacks where I was, uh, I was violated. Just so that we don't get it twisted, uh, we were at a strip club, and this woman comes in and says her name's Foxy, and we don't even know if she worked there, but she is all over weeks, and uh, he was just traumatized by the, the whole thing. I was too traumatized. I wanted to run up out of there and never come back to Atlantic City. I don't think I'll ever return to that city quite because of that uh, that occasion. <laughs> but don't you love the casinos and gambling and everything? I do love them. I do love them. But I think I'll stay out of town or I'll co- I'll go incognito in disguise, you know, because you never know when Foxy might find you and try to molest you again. <laughs> oh, you'll be back. You'll be back there. Yeah, I'll be uh, back. 
let's talk about this. Um, uh, they opened up this past week the George W. Bush Library in Dairy Queen in Texas. Uh, John Weeks, um, what, what, what was your reaction on the things that were said there and the opening of the uh, building? Oh, I did. I, I, I had a mostly positive reaction. I, I, I think it's an awful lot of money. I think it was almost like $280 million or close to $300 million. And it's the second largest uh, uh, monument uh, instead of Ronald Reagan's library in California. Uh, it's an awful lot of money. But uh, it, it's all about politics, I think, in the end. Um, as far as what was said, I, I think it's a great occasion for all the presidents to come together. It's a look back on his legacy. And the funny thing is, like, uh, I was doing a little research on it and reading articles. His approval rating, George Bush's, was like at 30% before. But now, since the uh, press and the, and the talk about his library and whatnot, it's jumped to like 47%. So, really, it, it, what that, all that uh, tells you is that you can't really trust the, uh, the ratings and whatnot because they're jumping back and forth. And uh, time will tell. Uh, uh, to determine uh, George Bush's legacy, I think it's a great library to go check out. I don't, uh, I really haven't seen any of the other presidents, but uh, you know, if I'm in Dallas, maybe I'll uh, go check it out sometime. But I think it's, um, it's, it's a legacy that's still yet to be determined. I think mostly it's negative because of the wars that he, he engaged in, and uh, but you know, there are some positives to any presidency, and I think you know, number one, I think his uh, his aides. Um, Work and whatnot, and the money contributed to that work was great. And some, some you know, there are po- some positive attributes to his presidency, but uh, it, time will tell, you know, in terms of his legacy. I don't think a, a library re- really makes much of a dent in terms of the reputation that he created during his presidency. Yeah, and you know that probably that 47% will jump back down, and then something will happen, it'll go back up, you know, it'll exactly. constantly yeah. fluctuate. Um, yeah. And do you, there, something that George Bush mentioned was that um, the uh, the history books will see his administration as one that stuck to its convictions, that was unwavering, um, and will be viewed in a, in a positive light. So say that we're, I don't know, 50 years from now. Do you think that's going to be the case? That's a very good question. Um, I don't think it's going to be as dramatically as he thinks or hopes it's going to be, but I think it will change for the positive in terms of what he did with national security and how he responded to um, their homeland security and terrorism, and, and not in the instance of the two wars that he went through, because that kind of charged his reputa- reputation, but in terms of creating the Department of Homeland Security and uh, setting up the infrastructure and the 9-11 Commission, things like that. I think uh, history will change to see a more positive outlook of George Bush, because I think with any president, there's positives and negatives. And, uh, but I don't think it will change so much that he's going to become one of the greatest presidents uh, ever, revered. I think he did stick to uh, convictions, and some of those were negative. Some of them were creating big government and uh, spending too much money and driving us, our economy basically into the ground. But some of them were good, you know, in terms of national security. And, and it, it, it's tough. It's a, it's a, so, you know, if you ask me 50 years from now, will he be revered? No. But he'll be looked upon more positively than he is now. That's for sure. Fair assumption. So I guess – if anyone is in Dallas, then, you know, go check out the uh, George W. Bush Library in Taco Bell down there. Now, John uh, Weeks, let's talk about the White House Correspondents' Dinner from the other night. Uh, Conan O'Brien hosted uh, Barack Obama. Uh, he delivered uh, what many are viewing as a successfully funny speech. Uh, what did you think? Oh, I thought it was great. I think it's great to see Obama in this light where 
you know, he's, he's mostly serious during the presidency, which he has to be. And I think it's just fun to see these guys uh, make jokes about each other. And, 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 and on, on the more serious side, I think when they make these jokes, they're also subliminally kind of taking shots at each other. And it's, it's quite, quite humorous. They're taking shots at Republicans and, and Congress. And I think he t- made a shot at, at Sheldon Anderson or something like that. Some guy who made huge contributions to get his own, own campaign. Um, and it's just funny to see. I think you get to see the, the real character of these guys and, they're human beings. You know, they may be presidents, they may be the most powerful people in the world, but they're human beings and they're funny just like us and they, they take a lot of crap and they like to dish it out as well. So And what did you think of uh Conan? Conan was great. Uh, it, was, it was great to see Conan there. I think he's he's hilarious and he's classy and he's even more than uh, a talk show host, I think he's very funny and he he, he his delivery is excellent as well. You know, it was good to see Conan uh, in that kind of uh, form. Uh, now, Sarah Palin uh, tweeted that uh, the whole event was pathetic, that uh, people, you know, Americans are still hurting while they're uh, the the D.C., I believe she used the word ass clowns, are out <laughs> gallivanting. Um, but this is an event that I'm pretty sure she attended a couple of years ago. What do, what do you think of her uh, attack in her tweet there? Well, I think it's uh, you got to look at it as a political uh, movement and motive. And uh, these things are held once a year. Every single president does these things. Uh, George Bush did it. Every single Republican Democrat president does it. It's something that, you know, it's a time of night where they just get to make take cracks at each other. I think Sarah Palin is just coming out, you know, saying as much as she can so she can garner some kind of public attention to herself because she's dwindling, man. You know, it's, it's just the reality of it. Uh, you know, there's only so much that she can say, and she's become unfortunately uh well probably fortunately uh you know not necessary anymore irrelevant because uh that part of that conservative party has been really frowned upon in terms of republicans and in terms of uh transforming uh, their image and i just think it's nonsense you know she just has nothing else to say so she's just complaining about anything and everything obama does you know just right. stick to the real points and talk about the real things going on in the country not you know, complaining about some dinner that they have once a year. <laughs> you ain't never lied, John Weeks. Um, well, sir, I know you got to go. Uh, thank you so much for doing the panel. We'll talk to you next time. Ryan, it's an honor and pleasure. And i got to say, move over, P.T. Barnum. This is the greatest show on earth. <laughs> my my great-great-great-grandfather knew P.T. Barnum. Oh, he did? Okay, well, you know, somebody got to get in touch with P.T. Barnum and let him know. Move over. <laughs> this is the best show on earth. We got Let's let's call him up on the circular right now. We'll get P.T. Barnum on right now. Let's do it right now. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, man. All right. Thanks. You too, man. Take care. Peace, Mike. Um, all right. That was John Weeks. Uh, my next, uh, my first guest, actually, is an R&B artist, uh, and he is also a humanitarian from Duluth. Please welcome Solomon. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing very well, sir. So uh, what can people expect to hear on your new album, Kingdom? Kingdom is all about a positive message, and we just want everybody to uh, be able to see the light in a dark situation. I've been through a lot, so I just want to spread love all across the world, Ryan. Okay, and what do you think is your favorite song on the album? My favorite song on the album is probably called Dance Floor. Yes, sir. Dance Floor. 
Is it is it a song where people would hit the dance floor? <laughs> Actually, it's a slow groove from the soul. So, absolutely, and it's, it's not one of them club popping songs, Ryan. But uh, it's definitely a song that you can uh, just go grab your partner and hit the dance floor, and uh, the song will definitely speak volume to whoever you're with. Yes, sir. What do you suggest? What do you suggest, people? I was just at a wedding this past weekend. I remember somebody saying when a slow dance song came on that they felt very awkward during the slow dances. What do you suggest to the people that don't have partners there? <laughs> you know what she can do, actually? Now, let's face it. When it comes time to dance, I find myself dancing by myself a lot. So if it's there's a slow song, really feel free and go out there and just hey, get down by yourself. There's no problem, no shame in that at all, Ryan. <laughs> that is true. I agree with that. So what, what do you think your least favorite song on the album is? Well, you know, I, now, Ryan, to be honest, as far as I, my mind isn't really calculating the least favorite at all. It's just about the story, you know what I mean? I have a song, yeah. I have a song called Devil, actually, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, my song called Devil is just, uh, I'm just really screaming, at, I'm pretty much screaming at the devil. So that's like my least favorite song. I come from a very religious background. So, you know, I, what, yeah, I, I guess my least favorite song on the album is called Devil, but I still love the song, though. But it's called, the song's called Devil. But it has gotcha. a positive message, though. Just because uh, of the title, that doesn't uh, necessarily mean that it's, you know, got a negative message. So it's a positive message. Yeah, right. That's one of those, uh, that's one of those questions that, that people don't usually answer. So that was, that was way, <laughs> way more of an answer than, than I usually get. I just like, like asking that. Because, of course, people usually are going to be like, oh, my least – wait a minute. I'm not going to say my least favorite song. <laughs> so, uh, Solomon, the Duluth reader says, if you're looking for great vocals and groove, check out Solomon Witherspoon's music. Now, what do you suggest for people looking for great vocals but no groove? Oh, uh, see, great vocals but no groove, probably just some acapella, you know what I mean? <laughs> and what do you because... suggest for people looking for great groove but mediocre vocals? Oh, man, you know, just a, a really cool, probably a course sporadically throughout the song, you know? I mean, and, but let's face it, though, Ryan, depending on the day, depending on one's mood, when I'm waking up early in the morning, I, I kind of like to, you know, put on my little contemporary, you know, rock music, per se, and when it's time to hit the gym, it's time to pump it out, you know, and just get that feeling going. So it all depends on the mood. It all depends on the mood. So, but if people want that mm-hmm. groove, if people want that groove, you know what, I just always recommend just put the radio on, and you'll definitely, you know, you know hear something that you want to hear, so... Every time I put the radio on, it's Pitbull. Yeah. <laughs> well, now, hang on, Ryan, but let's get selective and precise and thorough about the channels that we put on now because, <laughs> like I tell people, <laughs> if you want to watch if you want to watch football, we, we will not go to a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'll turn on a station and give me everything's playing, then I'll turn the next station and uh, International Love's playing, and the next one is that MIP song, Pit bulls on every one of them. <laughs> well, you know what? Then we'll, hey, look at this. Send me uh, your top favorite hundred songs. I'll take care of you. And then you just put the CD in. And hey, if you don't want no pit bull ride, there will be no pit bull in the mix, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying no pit bull. I'm just saying it's I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, so your bio yeah. says you aim for the stars and shoot for the moon. What about during the daytime? Oh, man, actually, well, the daytime, I'm always just walking on cloud nine, I guess, and just, you know, and just jumping around the sun, so. Oh, okay. 
uh, like Katrina and the Waves. Now, you actually, Solomon, you played three years of indoor NFL football. Now, this is different from the arena football, right? Okay, I was I was one of the original members from the National Indoor Football League, yeah. So we actually played on the, pretty much on like a hockey rink. So just like two inches of, you know, carpet, and we were inside. So, yeah, it's it's – it's just not the AFL. It's the National Indoor Football League. So, but very similar rules. Yeah, very similar rules. It sounds like you wanted to play football and you went to a hockey stadium. Didn't you just say not to do that? No, 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 no. What I said was if you want to watch football, you want to go to a hockey, you know what I'm saying, game. So I didn't go to the mm-hmm. hockey game, Rye. <laughs> 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 However, hey, Rye, I did play hockey in high school, though. I'm from Duluth, Minnesota, so I did play hockey, too. So. <laughs> oh, did you really? I did. I was a goalie, yeah. Who's your favorite hockey team now? I, I don't really watch too much hockey, man, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm from Minnesota, so I support the Wild. I support the Wild. Gotcha. So yeah, what made you man. go from football to music? Well, I started singing when I was in church. My father was a pastor for 61 years, and I was singing in church when I was six years old. So, you know, I was in church four days a week. And I I come from a family of 11, so we were always singing. And, in fact, my my family was the Witherspoon, it's called the Witherspoon Choir. So, you know, music has been in my blood all the time. And, you know, I've I've been through a a lot of tragedies. I've had a brother and sister murdered. My father passed away ten years ago, and uh, you know, music has just been my just—it's it, it, been my therapy. Sure. Um, yeah. So you just mentioned uh, that that you had a, a really rough go uh, for a while. There's um, uh, mm-hmm. you do a lot of work with uh, with children now in your your mm-hmm. humanitarian efforts. Do you do you think that what you've gone through personally uh, gives you more empathy towards these terminally ill kids? It, it, it does actually. I have a few members in my family currently right now that are uh, terminally ill, and uh, every time I come around them and just my energy and um, just my spirit, my soul, it, it allows me even to connect a lot more with my family. And you know, just many years ago, it just kind of hit me. You know, something to say, hey Solomon, you know what you need to do? You need to dedicate and devote your life and your time to putting smiles on everybody's face. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it definitely. Um, um, it's just been such. It's been a dream come true just to be able to, you know, travel in the hospital and you know, uh, play some music and have kids come in in a wheelchair and just you know, their their smile is endless. It's like a oh, it, it's just a beautiful thing. It's a it's a beautiful thing. So I noticed that there was a quote from the uh, Sandy Hook School's uh, music director on on your page. Uh, did you reach out to them after the uh, the tragedy there? Yes, sir, we did, absolutely. And actually, um, I wrote a, another song called uh, Say Love, and we sent it out to, uh, back to the music director at Sandy Hook also. So, mm-hmm. yes, sir, we, we did okay. reach out. And I, I, I think it's important, like I said, <clears throat> um, having a brother and sister murdered from gun violence, and I know exactly mm-hmm. what it feels like to be on the receiving end of uh, just a, 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 a severe tragedy. And I think it's imperative that you know now what I'm doing, it's I'm, I'm sending music out to everybody because you know music is so therapeutic and it's very healing and the words are very mm-hmm. touching. So, so I did reach out yeah. to them absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you actually uh, received some some accolades doing the celebrity dance challenge. What was that? <laughs> well, um, in Duluth, Minnesota, 
they're they have a, a very famous uh, ballerina um, organization up there, and they put on a celebrity dance challenge. So 2012, actually, um, I, some some don't ask me how. Somehow I I won I won the celebrity dance challenge, and I did a passe doble routine. And Ryan, I tell you, man, it, it's that type of dancing. Any type of uh, ballroom dance is just incredibly difficult. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. But somehow, yeah, somehow I won it. You know, just I'm, I'm a go getter. So I'm not too competitive. You know, my so check it out. My father's words were this: "Once a task has once begun, never leave it until it's done. Be it labor, great or small, do it well or not at all." So I just try to just keep my mind focused all the time. And, you know, if I'm dancing or writing a song or singing, I just try to do it to the best of my capabilities. Those are great words to live by. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, yes, sir. So uh, you, you've worked with uh, Prince, Larry Graham, Brett Michaels, 3-6 Mafia. Um, which was the best experience and which was the craziest? Best experience by far. Um, I I got my start singing backup for Kip Blackshire, who's the best vocalist ever. I was his lead backup singer. And so we once had a show in Minnesota at at world famous Paisley Park, and we headlined Prince's Park. I, I, we headlined Prince's party. All of a sudden, <clears throat> we're in front of thousands of people. And they all look to the left, and there's Prince and Larry Graham right there on stage with us. And my heart almost jumped out of my just out of my chest. And Larry Graham walks up to me in the back and was playing his bass. We were back to back, and to me that was a dream come true, just to be able to share the stage, you know, with uh, Prince and Larry Graham among a few, a few other times. So that was probably the best experience in my life. Craziest experience in my life, definitely when I uh, I had a show Three Six Mafia. Oh yeah. Was, uh... <laughs> so that was well, you know. Um, a whole different venue, and the crowd was very, 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 we call it amped up. So mm-hmm. um, one one end of the, this place in Duluth, beautiful venue. You know, the the best venue in Duluth is called Quiet Iron. Man, bottles were flying. People were getting kicked out. Uh, people were trying to rush the stage. And, you know, at first, they, I think they thought I was 3-6 Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that was definitely, uh, you know, an experience that I'll never forget either. 3-6 Mafia, they know how to party. So, <laughs> Did you uh, get to party with them afterwards? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. We, uh, right, you know, we, uh, during their uh, meet and greet before the show started, party with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a chance to hang out with Brett Michaels, you know, and his whole band all night long, you know, and we were talking about the show, The Rock of Love. And Brett's a phenomenal, he's actually a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. I was I was blown away by Brett Michaels. He's like the oh, wow. uh, yeah. I was blown away by uh, Brett Michaels' etiquette, his professionalism, and just how humble he was. Blown away because it was sincere, and I mean it was awesome. So, mm-hmm. do you remember when that anvil fell on him at the Tonys? No, no. Yeah, he got he he came out and performed, and like a piece of scaffolding or something fell on him and, and knocked him out at the, at the Tony Awards. It was oh, it was really bad. He was he was seriously injured and a lot of people were like laughing. It was very awkward. No, I didn't see that at all. Wow. Yeah, well, it might be people, worth it. People were but, laughing and they thought that it was like a joke or something. You think, right? No, I think that they were laughing at the fact that it happened. 
Wow. I did not see that. I will look that up. I will look that up. <laughs> but he's okay now. Um, <laughs> so who are your uh, musical influences, Solomon? I love gospel, you know, so I love Donnie McCartan, Kurt Franklin. Um, I love Maxwell, you know, obviously, you know, the whole Brian McKnight. And, you know, I just, my mother, you know, she, I just grew up singing in the church and my, and, and my older brother, Stefan, actually. So, so there's some gospel, funk, pop. I like Usher, you know, Neo. I, I'm, I'm, I like everybody. I like a little bit of, you know, everybody. Like Taylor Swift. So. I'm diverse. You, uh... I like to be diverse. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about R. Kelly? Oh, <laughs> well, let me just put it this way. There's a lot of actions I completely disagree with, how he handled himself um, completely. Mm-hmm. He lost a lot of uh, respect for me. Um, he, he definitely has a lot of music that I grew up on that was, you know, mm-hmm. that had a great message. Um but my father always told me, you know, don't ever be the one to judge somebody. You know, let somebody else do that. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't judge R. Kelly. But like I said, um, he, as I'm sure we can all agree upon this, you know, it's the way he's handled himself in certain situations has been absolutely um, uncalled for. So <laughs> I hear you. I'll, I'll confess that he's my uh, my favorite artist, um, and and whenever I tell people that. They uh, they tend to uh, be very shocked, um, but but yeah, I love him. Yeah, uh, I mean, so. I, and like I said, I grew up on his music. I mean, I just you know he's he's a he's I mean you know definitely arguably you know one of the better songwriters I've ever heard. So yeah yeah yeah. So yeah. Uh, your bio says that you've worked with former Prince and Nick Jonas musicians. <laughs> now, on what planet is that sentence acceptable? Say that again. I didn't hear the last part of the question, Ryan. What did you say? What What planet is that sentence acceptable? Putting Prince and Nick Jonas in the, in the same fragment there. You know what? I'm, I'm glad you actually asked that because I've had to defend this a couple times. So on my CD, I know, I know, right? <laughs> so on my CD, Kingdom, my executive producers are Michael Bland, okay? Michael Bland was Prince's former drummer, and currently he's Soul Asylum's drummer. He was a prince for many, many years, diamonds and pearls and all that stuff. And the I other executive producer, yep, and the other, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's a drummer currently. Matter of fact, I think they're in New York this weekend. But um, and oh. so the two producers, yeah, were Michael Bland and Ryan Lisman. Ryan Lisman, when we recorded my album like eight months ago, he was just getting off tour with Nick Jonas. He's Nick Jonas's backup singer and his guitar player. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty crazy. And also on the CD, um. I have, uh, you know, Michael uh, Scott playing on there, who's playing with Justin Timberlake, guitar player. Eric Hale's playing with Lauren Hill. So it's, it's been it's been a beautiful, you know, musical uh, musical journey. Getting a chance to, you know, uh, play with you know bass players like Sonny Thompson. Played with Prince for a while, and he's currently playing with Johnny Lang right now. So it's been awesome. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's just to answer that question, Prince and Nick Jonas. I know it sounds funny. It does, but. My two producers for my CD were Prince's drummer and Nick Jonas' guitar player. <laughs> gotcha. Johnny Lang, he has one of those voices that is just sounds, I don't know, it sounds a little forced to me. I mean, I, I think he's good, but it's it kind of, I don't know. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, I'm, he, he's from the Midwest, actually, and I had a chance to, um, 
I was with his security years ago, you know, when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Had a chance to see him up close and personal um, for the first time when he was 15 years old. I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. I was just blown away. But, I mean, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge supporter. I'm from the Midwest, Ryan. So mm-hmm. I just I just try to do my job as in my due diligence, man, as far as just supporting, you know, uh, people, you know, that are just trying to follow their dream. Because the only easy part about life is saying the word life. And it's so difficult to live. So if you know, I just I'm, I'm a supporter. I try to be a supporter. So yeah, gotcha. yeah, got to rip mm-hmm. your hood. Your music yes, is G-rated, uh, but you're an R&B artist. Do you ever feel like it's difficult to keep up in a genre that's heavily ingrained with with foul mouth, uh, sex laden songs? No, not at all. Not one bit. Um, here's the reality of everything. You know. Um, I, my trade is, you know, gospel, R&B, but I'm definitely a soul funk pop musician. I've been able to take different words and substitute them for, you know, just what I want to, you know, how I want them to be received. So if if, if that makes any sense at all, you know, I've, and, and, you know, I'm just, Will Smith, for example, makes $20 million a movie or whatever it is. And, you know, he came out with his music and never cursed on any one of the songs. And, you know, and he's been extremely successful. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's so, you know, I mean, I just feel that sometimes, you know, you don't have to curse to get your point across. So that's all that is. Yeah. yeah for it, sure. it takes such such talent to be able to, to do that. If you, if you look at, like, say, uh, uh, comedy uh, in the same vein, um, Bill Cosby, he never cursed, and yet he's he's one of the greatest stand-ups there is. Whereas, say George Carlin, he never cursed, and he's also one of the greatest. I mean, he always cursed, and he's one of the greatest stand-ups. Yeah. But there was there was one night, Solomon, that I saw. I saw both of them many times, but I saw Bill Cosby, and at the end of the show, he like turns around and he says, "Why do we need to know this shit?" And it was so <laughs> like shocking that it was the funniest thing ever. Uh, he went the rest of the show without saying anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, now, not to be confused with it all. There's definitely times a few curse words just may happen to fumble out of my mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a situation how you know we're all human sometimes. And and and, and like and Ryan, you know, I, I like. I mean, I listen to. You're listening to, you know, to uh, like Master P and all them people as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the iPod, there's definitely music that just gets my heart going and my the blood, you know, just running up and just getting me amped up. So, I mean, you know, just, just because I don't curse in my music doesn't mean I don't listen to some of the music, you know, so the other stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, we mentioned your humanitarian work before. You also did some work with the Samaritan Orphanage, uh, Uganda. Um, did you Did you actually travel there? Um, no, actually, we did not travel there yet. Those those plans are in the works right now. We're looking to go around the end of July. We've uh, um, we sponsor their orphanage right now. My, I'm with the record label USR Records, so we sponsor their orphanage right now, and um, we you know we we uh, just send them some donations monthly. And uh, we're in touch with the director of the orphanage. You know, literally every single day on every day on Facebook through personal mm-hmm. messages and everything. So we're in touch with Henry every single day. So, yeah, we appoint, we for sure will be going to uh, Uganda, Africa, to uh, meet everybody that, uh, you know, put a name to all the – or put a face to all the names. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you're um, – uh, do you have any shows coming up, sir? <clears throat> I do. 
Um, Where are you as of be? two weeks ago. I'm going to be in Duluth, Minnesota, playing for I'm – I'm an ambassador now, as of two weeks ago, for the Lifehouse organization in Duluth, Minnesota. They help homeless children from 14 to 20 years old since 1991, and I'll be uh, the mayor of Duluth. Don Ness will be speaking, and I'll be performing after he's done. Yeah, so May 15th from 3 to 6, and it's open for the whole city um, of Duluth, so I'll be performing with the mayor. Yes, sir. Is, with the mayor of Duluth, is he going to be singing? No, but you know what? Actually, I might have to call him on stage to get a little uh, call and response with him. So I'm sure he's uh, <laughs> he's only 38 years old. I went to he, he knew some of my older uh, brothers and sisters. So I'll definitely. Oh, okay. I'll to, I mean, but hey, Brian, but that's the goal. Honestly, I'm gonna try to get him to sing. I have a song, and I'm gonna just try to get him to come up there and do a little call and response. So yeah. <laughs> It's worked with President Obama. He's sung, he sang Al Green. He sang D.B. King. So why not the mayor of Duluth? <laughs> oh, I tell you, I love this. I love this life we live, Ryan. I love this life we live, man. I love it. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna play a track of yours um, to, uh, to play out the interview. Your uh, new record is called Kingdom. Check them out SolomonWitherspoon.com. Uh, this was a blast, sir. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, man. And bless you, man. Stay in touch, okay, man? Yeah, absolutely. Keep doing what you're doing. Yes, sir. Have a good night. You too. Good night. Bye. This is uh, Solomon. You check him out at SolomonWitherspoon.com. And uh, this song, he said it was the favorite song off his album. We will play dance.
Solomon Witherspoon with Dance Floor. My next guest is a folk rock singer from Queens, New York. Please welcome to the program, Scott Crocall. Hello, sir. How are you? How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, Scott. Uh, so uh, now explain this to me. You, you work as an attorney. Explain if your goal was to always be a singer-songwriter, how you became a, a lawyer. That's a pretty uh, good question and also a pretty long story. <laughs> um, but okay. uh, I, I, I wanted to be a – I've always uh, at least had dreams of being a musician since my college days. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then, you know, when I graduated college, I was, an ex- I was actually a math major. And uh, I was uh, – at one point, uh, you know, I was studying to be an actuary. And I, I ended up taking some uh, test geared for that. But then I realized what an actuary did, which is a lot of crunching numbers. And it's, it, was, it was something that I just didn't really desire to do that much. So uh, during that time, in my first couple of years after college, I was uh, – you know, just floating around deciding what to do, and then uh, law was a possibility. I, uh, you know, one of, you know, one of my relatives is a lawyer. My aunt's a lawyer, and uh, you know, I know some friends who are going to law school, and I thought, you know, that's when it started to, uh, you know, seep in as to a possibility. I'll be honest; up to that point in time, law was not even a flip on my radar screen. But uh, mm-hmm. then I ended up, you know, uh, I was like a paralegal for a while. Then I ended up going to law school, and long story short, I ended up practicing law. So what uh, does being a lawyer ever affect your your songwriting? Do you ever feel the need to censor yourself because of current or potential clients? Um, yeah, you know it's funny when when you as a lawyer you're trained to be cautious. You know what I mean? And uh, mm-hmm. I already you know have that in my makeup, and then it got ingrained in me even more. You know, once uh, throughout you know practicing over the years. So yes, you you know uh, sometimes the thing is when you're you're an artist, you know the whole point of being an artist is to be more free spirited, right? So mm-hmm. that is actually a bit of you know a, a conflicting point, you know being free spirited mm-hmm. and creative as opposed to being conservative and cautious, you know what I mean? Sure. So uh, there was always that kind of uh, clash, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, at the same time, I think I've also, you know, I've always had a, like a logic aspect to me because of my math background, so that was always there to begin with. And uh, you know, if anything, I, I think I, you know, I try to use it to my advantage, you know. Uh, and uh, sometimes I use that to fuel my songwriting. How so, so do you think you you use the frustration of, of kind of being caught up between two worlds in, in your songwriting, or how, how do you use it to your advantage? Exactly right. You got it. it, it it's, it's, I, I live a double life pretty much. You know what I mean? I, I have my day job, one that I take very seriously, one that I've worked, you know, I, I've, I've been in that field for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, but I also have, you know, this desire and this passion and this, you know, and this skill to, you know, to be a musician and you know, being a musician is a is a full time job in and of itself. But as with most musicians, it's a bit of a paradox because even though you could devote your every waking minute being a musician, you also need to have a steady income in order to uh, provide for all you know, take care of all those expenses that you're going to have to sustain and incur when you're a musician. So you know, it, it, there's always you know that that conflict. 
and I'm I'm constantly trying to balance that, you know, and and that's something that I've been, you know, that I I have my good weeks where I'm able to really balance it well, and other weeks where it's, I feel like one is taking you know more time from the other. I mean, you know, being a lawyer is, is obviously a uh, could, you know it could be a stressful job. It, it could be you know it, it pays well, but it also is, you know there's a lot of stress involved. There's a lot of uh, you know volume, a lot of high volume tasks. It could be very tedious. Um, it takes a lot of effort and energy, and it's real, you know it's actually relentless. It, you always have to feel like you always feel whether you're in a courtroom or not. You always feel like you have to be on. That you always have to be right, and that's something that's yeah. a very high standard that. Most people, you know, that's that's pretty much an impossibility. You're never going to be right all the time. I don't care how great or how smart you are. But that's 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 the pressure that lawyers feel all the time. Whether you're working on your own or whether whether you're working for a big law firm or whether you're working in house for a company, you always feel that that constant stress. And that and that's something by the end of the day really wipes you out. You know, so then. I have to now find time to, you know, be creative and to work on my music and to practice and, and to write songs and to record them and then to market them. And that takes a ton of energy too. So there, there, there is constantly that, um, you know, straddling in, in between two worlds, you know, that, that, I, that I have to, uh, you know, that I deal with all the time and every now and then it hits home. That I, you know, I wish I was I'd be able to spend more time. But you know, at the same time, you make the most of your time, and 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 I and I think I've done a pretty good job doing that. So one more question about this, and then we'll move on to your music. The, what, yeah. what what advice? Now this is this is hypothetical, Scott. All right, but what what advice would you give to an internet radio host whose lifelong goal was to be an actor? But who who accumulated so much debt in his twenties that he's now working as a paralegal at a hellish law firm that has a reputation for working at paralegals the hardest and paying them the least. What advice would you have for that guy? Is that you? Are you describing yourself? <laughs> yeah, hypothetically. <laughs> so okay, hypothetically speaking, um, so your dream is to be, or that person's dream is to be an actor and yet is working as a paralegal and is sustained a lot of debt. Well, I could totally relate to the debt factor because I sustained a ton of debt. I mean, but by, uh, you know, just law school. And then I went through three years of law school, and then I practiced for a year, and then I decided to go back for one more year and get a master's in tax law. And I, the reason I did that is that I always, you know, when I went to law school, I thought I'd be one of two things. I thought I'd be either – I initially went thinking I'd, I'd want to be a judge, um, but you know, early on in my uh, you know in my law school, you know, when I was in law school, I realized that you know that's all well and good, but you're gonna have to be a litigator for a good ten plus years, and then you know become belong, you know, becomes a member of a trial association, and then you know start a you know, getting into you know political endeavors, and, and even then you you know you'd have to still be like pretty much nominated for that. So then the other you know the the other thing I want I thought would be up my alley would be uh, being a tax lawyer because of my math background. I thought, okay, it's not, obviously, I'm not using high uh, complicated mathematics here, but it's problem solving. And, and that's exactly what tax law is like. It's totally problem solving. So I thought that I would be, uh, that that would be up my alley. So I went back for one more year 
to get my tax master, and then I practiced tax law for about eight, you know, so actually, well, I was, you know, so, uh, but, but, but primarily for eight years. So, uh, you know, it, I, I totally understand what it's like to sustain a lot of debt, and that is just, that's yet another layer of, of, of some, you know, in terms of another obstacle you have to deal with, but you know what? The one, the thing is, you'll find the way. That's really what it comes down to. The first question you have to ask yourself is, do you want to do something? You know, is there something you have a passion in? Is there something you you really feel that is meant for you to do? Whatever field it is, you know. For me, it's music. Mm-hmm. For other people, it's something else. You know, and you know, a lot of people. You know, some people are lucky in life, and when they're 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, they know what they want to do, and right off, you know, right out of the gate, they start going in that direction, and that's great. If you know that, if if you've always had, you know, knew what you wanted, and it really started working out for you, that that's great. But you're really in the minority. Most people have certain desires that they want to do. They also, but then they are, then there's certain things that they think they should do, and they go in that direction, and then they realize later on that there's something that they're more passionate about. And that's what they should be, you know, should have been doing in the first place, you know. The thing, you know, and then that, that, you know, whenever that point in time comes for you, you have to ask yourself, well, is this what you want to do, right? And if you want, you know, is this something that you feel you would regret if you didn't at least try to, you know, at least explore and try to, you know, see where it took you? And if the answer to that is yes, then you will find one way or another regardless of your debt levels, you'll find a way. You know, when it comes to acting, you'll find, you know, you, you'll, you'll go to auditions, you'll take classes, you'll check, you know, look at YouTube videos, you'll do whatever it's necessary to develop your skill and to start, you know, you'll, you'll start net, networking with other actors. A lot of things you can do are probably inexpensive. It's probably time-consuming, but it's, you know, it's something that you can actually still do. So mm-hmm. I think that even with all that debt, that's racked up, it doesn't mean that it is, you know, taken away that possibility. I don't think so, so at all. It's just something you're going to have to deal with. You know, at some point in that, you'll have to pay it off, but as long as you're paying off enough of it at a time, then it shouldn't stop you at all. The wisdom of uh, Mr. Krokoff. Thank you for that. Uh, your, your bio says, sir, that you love uh, music from the 60s and 70s. Who are your musical influences? Well, there's a lot of bands and artists I like. The Beatles are by far my my favorite. Um, the Beatles are, are definitely my number one, and Bruce Springsteen's my number two. So I could t- definitely give you the top two. And then after that, it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Um, I like uh, bands like uh, like Stones. Uh, I've actually been in a big David Bowie phase lately. Um, I love uh, you know, Grateful Dead. I like Leaf, I like Sting, I like U2. Then there's a lot of folk artists I like in the 70s, like the uh, the Jim Croce's and the James Taylor's of the world, Paul Simon, Simon Garfunkel, things like that. Um, and then I also, then there are things that are left field <laughs> I, that I, I really like, uh, like like ABBA, <laughs> for example. Okay. Really big, 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 uh, big ABBA fan. And that's a very, you know, some people, you either love or hate ABBA. But uh, but I think they're 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 great. And then uh, then there's other you know more modern bands like Radiohead and and uh, I thought actually one band from the '90s I really like Jayhawks. I don't know if you know them. I don't. 
Yeah, uh, great, great band um, from from the '90s. So there's a ton of uh, influences that I had. Also, loved from the '70s, loved the country rock like Neil Young and and and, and CSN and the Eagles. I mean, that's that, all that stuff is reflected in my my songwriting. Um, also, uh, Tom Petty, you know, big Tom Petty fan. And you know, a lot of people think I sound like Jackson Brown. So, you know, and I, I, I like some of his stuff. So there's a lot of that kind of country rock flavor that mm-hmm. definitely in, you know, influenced my music. But, you know, I also like, you know, I like some rock and I love pop too, you know, and I, and I, I, I try to factor that in as well. You just mentioned uh, a few folk artists. I, I, can I tell you how devastated I was the other day when I found out Richie Havens passed away? Yeah, yeah, I know. It was a, it was a sad loss. You know, I, I, well, the thing I remember most about Richie Havens, did you ever watch Bob Dylan's 30th uh, anniversary yes. show? Yes. And when he played, he played just, just Like a Woman. Mm-hmm. Such a great, great uh, track. I mean, uh, and I forgot to mention Dylan, by the way. It's one of my, uh, obviously, like most people, um, love Dylan. But, yeah, just assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. There's certain, certain artists you assume, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, exactly. he's definitely one of them. But, yeah, I, I always thought that, that that version of uh, Just Like a Woman was, uh, was outstanding. And then he's not the only uh, major artist who was lost this week. George Jones, too, a couple of days ago. Oh, right. That's, yes. Yeah, it's been a bad week for for music. Um, yeah, no question. Anyway. Yeah, Richard Havens uh, had a very, uh, you know, he had a very unique style of playing because, uh, well, he liked the open tuning, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he also almost had like a mantra kind of singing, like uh, quality to him. And he always he just had these very fluid wrists <laughs> with his strumming how yeah. to pick it up. I was uh, it was enamored with that. He was very fast with his wrists. Um, no you you released uh, your new ET Realizations and Declarations Volume One in November. Uh, tell me about the the EP. Um, this this is the first one in a series of EPs leading up to your second album. Yeah, so uh, that's exactly right. So uh, I recorded my first one, uh, A Better Life, back in uh, 2007, and it took me a few years to put that together and. Uh, you know, ever since then, I, I've been working on, you know, I wanted to do the follow-up. But as you know, you know, when I started working, you know, I started recording some acoustic singles, uh, to, you know, start coming up with some new songs, and I started releasing them, like, one by one. Because in this current climate, you can't just, uh, you know, record an album and disappear for three or four years because, uh, you know, you need to constantly come out with, with regular content of some sort or another, you know, so some kind of regularity to it, you know, a couple of songs a year or something, something to that effect. So, you know, for a few years after my better, after the first CD, I didn't really do much. And then I started writing again and I started, you know, uh, recording some acoustic singles. And I had this idea for this big project. I mean, if I, if I, if I had to wait, I would have released this really big album. And I and I had this idea, and I and I and I knew what I wanted to call it. I knew I wanted to call it realizations and declarations. But then I thought to myself, why not release it in volume? Because this way I get the content out quicker, and I can still do like a, sing- a single or two 
in advance of the next one, which I'll probably do for the next uh, fund. But uh, but that that was that was the idea, and uh, I released uh, volume one last November, and I'm I'm already working on volume two, and I'm hoping to finish that um, by the end of the year. All right, and do you expect it to be to be out at the end of the year or early next year? I don't know. I mean, in my uh, I'll be happy if it's done by the by the end of the year. I mean, it's possible that I release it by the end of the year, but in all likelihood, given the inevitable slippage that happens when it comes to stuff like this, I'll probably release it. You know, I'll be happy if I release it like in January of 2014. You know, so right. if I can at least get all the recording done, you know, by the time it's mastered and the, and the packaging and all that, so it always takes longer than you think it does. So uh, I definitely have a lot of plans the rest of this year in terms of the recording. I already finished a couple of tracks, and I'm, and I'm definitely hoping to uh, finish it all by year end. Awesome. Uh, Scott, your bio says you have begun planting seeds in other localities across the country. Now, I don't need to tell you, planting your seed in multiple places across the country is a very, very dangerous activity. Why would you even put that in your bio? <laughs> why, would that, why would that be dangerous? You don't want to go planting your seed in every area. You know, oh, I mean, <laughs> that just show you how tired I am. <laughs> <laughs> that I had to hear it again before I figured out what you were getting at. Well, not that kind of seed. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying. You know, I play mostly locally here in the in the New York area, right? But uh, you know, I thought it's also important if you can. To, uh, to get out and play in other places. I've been to Nashville for a few times, and I'm hoping to get, get uh, go back there, in a, you know, later this year. I'm actually hoping to do uh, – I played in – I've been in Vermont. I've been in Philly. I'm hoping to uh, actually put together a short week tour later this summer in the south um, to, uh, you know, do some more traveling. And it's uh, – you know, this is, just, this is actually a good uh, – good example of trying to do something like this when you're working as a lawyer full, you know, uh, with a regular schedule, right? Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a musician, I don't work full-time, I work part-time, but I still can't drop my life and go on like a six-month tour, you know, or I can't even, I can't even really go on a month-long tour, you know, I, I right. can't. Other, other musicians can do that, and that's something that you know, again, that respect puts me at a, at a disadvantage. But, you know, not entirely because you could, you don't have to do that. I mean, you could, you could, as long as you could do like a long weekend here and there, three or four days, and you do like a one week, once a year, something like that, that that's enough. You know, that, that's one advantage of how, you know, the music world has changed in your benefit, you know, is that you don't have to do that. If you, if you can... Obviously, it's still a tried and true way of, you know, building up your fan base uh, on a grassroots level. But mm-hmm. if you can't do that, doesn't mean you still, you know, that you don't have to, you don't have to shut it out entirely. You know, in fact, you should because, you know, like for example, my music. While you know, it, I, it, it, it's it's doing really well here, but you know, my my kind of music that you know, it's got like a country rock folk kind of element that could do well in other areas where that's more popular. So it behooves me to at least see where that you know where that goes, you know. 
But he, regardless <laughs> of the, regardless of the medium, regardless of whatever kind of music you play, it you know if you could start building up little communities, little fan bases in other towns, and you know you don't have to do it in many places. Just pick a few areas. Just you, know, you could just do regionally if that's all you can do. That's only going to help you. Because really, at the end of the day, the way I see all this, it's like padding a resume. That's really what it is. You know, you're 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 trying to, uh, you know, people see you doing things regularly. It it, it only makes you, you know, it, it only builds you up in people's eyes. It's really no different than applying for a job. Same thing. People want to see your credentials. They want to see what you've done, so they can form, they can form your impression about you. You know, in the music world, it's about what does your site look like? What is what you know? What kind of songs can I, you know, do you, do you play? What, you know, what do you sound like? Where have you played? Basic things that people are going to immediately form an impression about you. So, uh, and, 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 and that's, you know, that's, you don't have a lot of time to convince people because people's attention spans are very limited because they're constantly overloaded and they're going to look yeah. at your site or your pages and they're going to make an impression of, about you within 30 seconds. <laughs> If you're lucky, maybe 60 seconds, and then they're going to move on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, well, do you have any uh, shows coming up soon? I'm actually playing later this week uh, at the LIC bar. Okay. In Long Island Long City? Long Island City, yeah. Awesome. Uh, really, when in... really, really cool place. What day? On Wednesday, I'm playing on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Awesome. Um, and... Uh, how much are tickets? Oh, this it's uh, no cover. All right. Well, if you're in the Long Island City area, go see Scott Krokoff, Um and uh, on Wednesday at eight. Uh, I'm gonna play the show out with a uh, song of Scott's called "Closed." And uh, check him out, Scott Krokoff got dot, uh, dot com. Scott, man, keep reaching for your dreams, brother. We'll look for your new album. That's great, man. I, I really appreciate you having me on the show, and. Uh... You know, thanks again. Absolutely, sir. Have a good night. How are you, too? Take care. All right. Now, this is Scott Krokoff uh, with a song called Closed.
hosting Blaze and Rye Radio on April 29, 2013. Big congratulations to Sam Spivak and Nick Sizzik for getting married over the weekend, or Nicholas, as I should say. Uh, so happy for you guys. Uh, I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. Also, hit the brakes, Florence. And if you have a Barbie doll, bend her backwards, take off her clothes, cut off her hair, burn her nipples on the stove, and leave her in some drawers somewhere, a la Tamika Kid. Good night, everybody. We'll be back next week with somebody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.